Hey y'all, welcome to Catch These Vibes. I'm your host, Charmonique, bringing you another episode, a 90s episode. This is season four, and we are going down memory lane and reminiscing about all the 90s vibes, from the movies, to the music, to everything that we love from the 90s. All right, but right now we're getting into the movies. This episode, we're going to be talking about Soul Food, which came out in 1997. And I noticed that I've been talking about a lot of movies from 1997, 98, 95. The last few movies have been in this in these later years. So maybe next week. I ain't going to make no promises because I'm just really not trying to think it, into it too hard. Just whatever movie I choose whichever year in the 90s that it came out it is what it is but keep in mind if you have a request if I haven't talked about a movie that you're like why hasn't she talked about this yet send it to me you can hit my email up it's your effortless at gmail.com that's y-o-u-r-e effortless at gmail.com you can send me an email directly or you can go hit me up on social media and send me a dm on twitter catch underscore vibes pod or instagram catch these vibes pod whichever works for you but yeah definitely send me any requests any feedback you can also review the podcast on whichever platform that you're listening just let me know how you're feeling these episodes how how am I doing all that good shit yeah you can do that it's easy y'all you on your phone anyway (laughs) uh all right so we're gonna go ahead and get into soul food I'm I'm gonna go ahead and play the trailer and we gonna kick it off like that Pfeiffer and Brandon Hammond. I am responsible when I'm the one who graduated from law school. 
non-successful wife and mother. Did you guys stop? In a story about the people who make us strong. It's all yours fault. Because all y'all do is fight. Can't you see that? And the recipe. I just want to say thank you for always supporting me. You my sister girl. That makes us a family. all right so we are getting into soul food this is one of those movies that i feel like people really love and enjoy because it just really shows what we look like like what our families look like what our families go through and experience all the different trials and tribulations. So I think people really love it because they can really relate to it. And in the characters in the movie, you could see yourself in. So the movie is about matriarch Mama Jo, who has held the family together for 40 years around a Sunday dinner of soul food. When diabetes hospitalizes her, the dinner stop and tensions among her three daughters start to break the family apart. Two of the sisters feud continuously. Terry is jealous of Maxine's marriage and irritated that everyone assumes her corporate salary is open to the rest of the family's uses. Maxine resents Terry's bossiness and insensitivity to family tradition. Bird, the youngest newly married to an ex-con, accepts a favor from an old lover that leads to her husband's arrest. Mama Jo's grandson, Ahmad, cooks up a scheme to bring the family together back to the table so that's pretty much what it's about so let's go ahead and get into the cast so we have Vanessa Williams who plays Terry Vivica A. Fox who plays Maxine Nia Long who plays Bird so those are the three sisters and then we have Terry's husband played by Michael Beach he's Miles Makai Pfeiffer plays Lim that is Nia Long's husband and then we have Brandon Hammond, who plays Ahmad. And let me see. And then we have Irma P. Hall, who's Mother Joe. And then we have Mel Jackson, who plays Simeo. Gina Rivera, who plays Faith, which is the cousin. So the movie is directed by George Tillman Jr. George Tillman Jr., he has worked on other films like Cooley High or Act. Actually, after seeing films like Cooley High, that's what inspired him to start making his own movies. And then he produced uh, The Hate That You Give, or The Hate You Give, Men of Honor. Uh, he worked on Notorious for Life, Mudbound, Barbershop. Looks like he was producer for all of these movies. Um, and then he also did some directing for Luke Cage, This Is Us, and Power. So this show also did have a, a TV series. It was like a cable TV series. And so Mikai Pfeiffer, who plays Lim, was at one point married to Melinda Williams, who does play Bird in the cable series. 
So Vanessa Williams was working on the film Hoodlum, which came out in 1997 at the same time as this film. Vanessa Williams, Vivica A. Fox, and Neil Long all previously appeared in The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air in 1990, which was which began in 1990 as three very different love interests of Will Smith's character. So Irma P. Hall is the only cast member who reprised their role in the cable series, which is Big Mama. Jeffrey D. Sams, Michael Beach, and Brandon Hammond previously appeared in Waiting to Exhale. So Brandon Hammond played her, um, Angela Bass's character. He played her son. Michael Beach played her husband, the man that left her for a white woman. Yeah, can't forget him. Director-writer George Tillman auditioned three people for the role of chef and food stylist on the production. Not only did he interview them, but he also taste tested their food. He ended up picking Freddie Petros from the west side of Chicago, who he said cooked in the same style and way of his or as his grandmother. He went to her home and watched her cook in her kitchen and also sat at her table with her family. Um, I thought that was interesting because when you watch the movie and you see all that food, you I well I had the thought like who cooked it, like who really prepared all that food. And so come to find out he did indeed hire a chef to cook the food. So speaking of the food, I thought it would be interesting if we just go over just a brief history of the origin of soul food. So let's go ahead and look into that. So I'm reading this article from blacknews.com. Wait for it to load. All right, so I'm going to read this article I came across titled The Humble History of Soul Food. This was written by Vanessa Hayford. You can find it on blackfoodie.com. So it says, soul food is one of the most popular and recognizable types of cooking coming out of the United States. For centuries, Black Americans have passed on hearty, scrumptious recipes that have marked many a special occasion. If you're like me, you're a sucker for soul food. The mere idea of fried chicken, collard greens, and cornbread is enough to make my mouth water. But most of us spend more time drooling over soul food than thinking about it. Soul food takes its origins mostly from Georgia, Mississippi, and Alabama, a collection of states commonly referred to as the Deep South. During the transatlantic slave trade, enslaved African people were given meager food rations that were low in quality and nutritional value. With these rations, enslaved people preserved African food traditions and adapted traditional recipes with the resources available. Over time, these recipes and techniques have become the soul food dishes we are familiar with today. This food genre, now associated with comfort and decadence, was born out of struggle and survival. 
Soul food has a rich and important history that ties Black culture to its African roots, and that history is deeply reflected in the staple recipes and techniques. In soul food cooking, there are four key ingredients that establish a historical link to America's dark slavery past and the African cultures that the enslaved carried with them. First, we have rice. It may surprise you to know that rice is not indigenous to the Americas. In fact, many crops that are key ingredients in soul food cooking were nowhere to be found in the Western Hemisphere prior to the slave trade. During the Middle Passage, slave traders intentionally took several crops native to Africa and made limited portions of these foods available on the slave ships in order to keep the enslaved alive. Once in the Americas, the enslaved Africans grew these crops on the plantations as food sources that would help their energy up during the long days of hard labor. The transport of the African variety of rice in particular through the slave trade arguably set the foundation for the most notable Southern American culinary traditions. Since rice is a staple in many African dishes, enslaved Africans adapted their cooking in the Americas with the food items that were most accessible, creating some of the most renowned soul food staples. Today, we can still see clear similarities between one pot rice recipes like jambalaya and jollof, a widely popular traditional dish in many West African countries. Other dishes like hop and john bear resemblance to Guanas Waki and Senegal's Theobu Nibi. Okra. Whether it's stewed, fried, or baked, okra has grown to become a cornerstone of Southern American cooking despite its African roots. The slimy green vegetable has a deep history, likely originating from Ethiopia. Over the centuries, the vegetable made its way through the Middle East, North Africa, and even South Asia. It wasn't until the 18th century when okra made its way to the Americas through the slave ships. Historically, okra has been used as a soup thickener, a coffee substitute, and even as a material for rope. Okra is still used today in a variety of African soups, stews, and rice dishes, and the recipes vary widely from country to country. While it is usually served fried in the deep south, many are most popular wait, many are most familiar with okra as an ingredient in gumbo, a rich and savory stew usually consisting of some sorts of meat or seafood vegetables and served with rice strangely enough the word gumbo is derived from kinungumbo <laughs> kinungbo the bantu word for okra i said that all the way wrong barbecue in the south of the united states isn't just reserved for casual celebrations and backyard gatherings it is a time-honored and sophisticated art form with very humble beginnings Pork has been the choice meat in the South for centuries, and the preferred method of preserving the meat in the past was to salt and smoke it. During the Atlantic slave trade, it was slaves who were frequently given the grueling task of preserving the meat. As a result, many of the techniques in curing meat are said to have been developed by African Americans of the era. The cheapest, least desired cuts of pork, such as the head, ribs, feet, or internal organs were reserved for the slaves' weekly food rations. rations. As would be expected, the taste of these cuts of meat is not the best. 
so to mask the poor flavor of the meat, enslaved people drew from their traditional African cooking and used combinations of seasonings on their meat. A mixture of hot red peppers and vinegar was very common, and this flavoring has served as the base of many different barbecue sauces that are still used in the South. And then we have greens. Last but not least, the ubiquitous greens of soul food. It's no secret that many cultures have a practice of boiling leafy greens. Nowhere is this practice most common than in African countries, where the selection of leafy green vegetables is unparalleled. Several dishes across the African continent, such as Ethiopia's Gomenwa and Guana's Consomir stew, are comparable to the collard greens dish we are familiar with in the West. As one of the most recognizable aspects of soul food cuisine, it is very clear that the culinary technique of bowling greens has a specific link to traditional African methods of eating. During the slavery era, greens were bowled, boiled in pork fat and seasoned with a combination of whatever vegetables were available at the time. The juices left over from the cooking process, casually known as pot liquor, was soaked up and eaten with cornbread. This style of eating is reminiscent of various traditional dishes in Africa, whether it's injera in Ethiopia or fufu in Nigeria. Many African countries have a practice of dipping a staple starch into a vegetable and meat-based gravy. Now, if that didn't make you hungry... I don't know what will. So I thought that would be cool to just go down and talk about a little bit of the history of soul food and how it just has really become a tradition in a lot of black families homes. And it just it really does have a, a meaning. Um, and the it's you know, it means more than food. It's just a tradition that we've had for all of these years. And, you know, eating this, these types of food is really comforting, comfort foods. Um, these types of foods make us happy, make, makes us look forward to spending time together and just being able to just eat, laugh, and just have a good time. So that's what soul food really means to a lot of us. And so that's why I wanted to just read about that and go through the origins and talk a little bit about our history and, and where we've come from and why soul food really means so much to us not only because it's good but it just it's just a tradition so the scene at the beginning of the film where Ahmad and his sister try to get in Uncle Pete's room when he takes his food took half a day to shoot and the crew was starting to get irritated with director George Tillman since this scene is only 30 seconds, George still didn't like how the final scene came out. Courtney B. Vance was offered the role of Kenny Simmons, but had to turn it down as he was working on another project. So Kenny Simmons is the husband of Vivica A. Fox's character, Maxine. So the story about that is, so this is one of the reasons why Terry and Maxine don't get along is because Terry was dating Kenny first and Maxine pretty much stole him right under her nose but you know 
it's just kind of like the situation where they vibed better. And I'm pretty sure if he would have met Maxine first, then he probably would have been with her to begin with, just based off of their personalities and just how well they vibe together. He was feeling Maxine a little bit more. So that is something that kind of started the conflict between Terry and Maxine. Maxine took her man and ended up living happily ever after with him. And so that was something that she was kind of envious about. You could really tell because her and Miles, they didn't really vibe either. It was just kind of like they were just two different people. I mean, maybe they started off being very similar and have having similar goals. They both went to law school and was lawyers. But some at some point, Miles really just wanted to work on his music. He was in a group and he worked on, um, and he did a lot of R&B music. And we get to see that in the movie, which is one of my favorite scenes when they perform that song. And so he, there's the scene where he's he's playing the piano along with his group and they're singing and he wanted he actually wanted Terry to come to that he wanted him he wanted her to be there at the show but she for whatever reason she didn't go I can't remember what her excuse was but he wanted her to be there and I think he really wanted her to be there because the song that the group sung the lyrics in the song was just really basically how he felt how he felt about their relationship it just really seemed like they weren't they weren't vibing and he loved her but for whatever reason you know you I I guess it's really just I just feel like they weren't really compatible it just seemed like Terry just was one of those type of people who was very stern and just very by the book and he probably needed somebody who was a little bit more more spontaneous, a little bit showed her love in different ways than Terry was willing to. And it's probably something that they could have went to therapy about, but they didn't really get to that point, unfortunately. There is a novelization of the film with a few minor differences and some added scenes. It is mentioned that Ahmad had a rare condition as a child, which made him unable to walk. But Mother Joe helped him take his first steps, which is why they have a special connection. There is another scene where Ahmad is skipping school to visit Mother Joe in the hospital, but is caught by his father in his tow truck. It is also mentioned that Terry previously had two abortions. There is a scene where Lim is sitting on the porch outside in deep thought and is joined by Bird. Miles and Terry also smoke cigarettes at the dinner table, unlike in the film. George Tillman originally wanted 8mm footage for the opening credits instead of the childhood pictures, but because of the budget, they couldn't get as much footage as they wanted. So the pictures from the end of the opening credits are pictures from George Tillman's actual family. Some of them are his mother as a child. I like the pictures. I think that was a good way to to have the opening credits, just be able to show the family members. A lot of the scene with the three sisters in the bathroom at the wedding was improvised since George Tillman wasn't satisfied with what he had written in the script. They changed Maxine's line from let's beat the bitch down to let's beat the hoe down since it is supposed to be a more family-oriented movie. 
All right, so the movie opens with a wedding. The wedding is limbs and birds. They got married, and it's it's like a typical black wedding. There's good music, food, a lot of black people there. And so the guy, Simeon, he shows up. So Simeon was an, a guy that Burr used to mess with back in the day for whatever reason. He decided to show up to the to the uh, wedding, and thankfully, Lim he was pre- preoccupied, so he didn't see him. But so Lim he shows up to the wedding. He he puts some money in her bra or in her dress by her bra, and it's just you know he he's just really disrespectful. You can see from that point on that he was probably going to be an issue or a problem because. Bird didn't completely like put that foot down, and I think because because of that, that kind of opened the door for there to be issues later on in down the line. Um, so another thing that happens at the wedding scene is Lim, played by Makai Pfeiffer, he's dancing with this hoochie mama. Where did the hoochie mama come from? And it turns out that he the hoochie mama is his ex. So I, cause I, when I was watching it, I had the thought that what if Simeon had her, the hoochie mama come to distract the groom so that he could, you know, have bird to himself for that moment. But then they say that the hoochie mama is his ex. So for whatever reason, his ex was at the wedding. I don't know why or how, but, but I guess, you know, when you're busy, you don't have really have time to like keep track of everybody, especially at a black wedding. People probably just coming in and they wasn't even on the guest list. So yeah, that was, those are two things that set the tone for the, for the movie. And so when they say, let's go beat this hole down, they come out to find not Lim dancing with the Uchi mama, but Lim dancing with big mama. And so that was a really special scene, just showed how Big Mama just was, you know, always coming through and turning things around and, you know, making everybody happy. So that was a a special scene for that, for that part. So the wedding scene took around 16 hours to shoot. The shot where Mother Joe gives the speech at the table took eight to nine times to do. And the actors were getting irritated since they were actually eating the food every take. So Terry and Miles' condo is located in Chicago and was actually built by Christy Hefner, who is Hugh Hefner's daughter. At the time, it was worth around $5 million and was owned by men who owned a chain of McDonald's. So they do have a really nice condo. The condo up, up on the roof part I guess is where was a mouse studio so it was you know perfect for them I don't know how many bedrooms it had but you know because it, it didn't really show us all that but from what they do show it was a really nice really nice condo so Miles was originally a jazz musician in the script it was Babyface's idea to make it R&B so Babyface did write a lot of the music in the movie. The mu- the music in the movie is is 
is beautiful. It's very memorable, especially the songs like A Song for Mama. That song comes on in the opening credits and, and plays, you know, I think. When do they play it again? I don't know if they play it again at the end, at the closing credits. But it's that mama song sung by Boys to Men. And it's a really beautiful song. And it's like... <laughs> I almost want to cry when I hear it because it's just really sweet and the lyrics are just really special and it just, it goes perfectly with the movie. So Babyface did write a lot of the music. Uh, they also, the, the, so the song that they performed when Miles had his show was that we're not making love no more. And the lyrics we're not making love no more. We're not even trying to change. You know, those is perfect for Miles and Terry because they they probably wasn't really making love and they wasn't doing anything to make it any better. So I think he really wanted her to be there, but she wasn't there. So she didn't really get to see him perform and see how special the music that they were making because she didn't really understand it. She treated it like it was a hobby and he was trying to tell her get her to understand that it was more than a hobby like there were really a lot of potential to like to make it big so but she didn't want to hear that she wasn't she wasn't she didn't care she was just was like dude you went to law school you need to be a lawyer all this music talk is just a hobby and I don't want to hear it and that could really be a problem because that can leave someone to not be happy. And then when someone's not happy, other other things come into play and have potential to happen. So Vanessa Williams, who plays Terry, was actually going through relationship issues. Uh, she was going through a divorce as she was filming the movie. So the director, George Tillman, thinks this helped her performance since character Terry deals or since the character Terry deals with the similar issues so Gina Rivera she plays Faith and Faith is the cousin who who leaves town and then comes back when she needs something and so she ends up coming back and staying with Terry so Terry of course she's you know doesn't want her to be there but she's like okay I gotta help family out you know everybody depends on me and I don't know she's I, I definitely will definitely would have been like oh no you gonna have to be at big mama's house I don't think I don't want you here with around my husband like I, I just really wouldn't have been comfortable with that but she let her stay and because she was so you know, and I, and that's the thing. I don't want to put the blame on anybody, but you know, because what, whether whichever way it goes, cheating is not good. You know, there aren't really any excuses for cheating, but at the same time, people, you do have to take a look and see. Well, damn, was there something I that I did or that I wasn't doing that led to my husband cheating, and so. Her cousin Faith, she was, of course, always around. And I think her and Miles connected on a deeper level because they both were passionate about things. She was passionate about dancing and he was passionate about, you know, making music. And so 
they were able to relate on that level and on that artistic level, on that level of just really wanting to chase their dreams and just having that understanding. And so that led to them being intimate and having sex. And unfortunately, Terry, she ends up seeing it. And that is like what really ends their relationship, even though it was already going down the drain. So that's one of the one of the controversial points of the movie is him cheating with her cousin. So Samuel, he ends up gifting Bird a bracelet. So that bracelet that he gave her was actually worth $15,000 at the time. So this was something that a conversation or something that I that I brought up to Twitter was was Bird wrong for accepting this gift and I think a lot of people would probably say she was I mean there's some people that might argue that you know maybe she wasn't it was just a gift not that big of a deal but to me personally I do feel like she shouldn't have accepted that gift because first of all would your would your husband want you to have that gift from a man that you fucked with who acts like he can still have you if he wants you I just feel like that is just going to do nothing but cause issues which it did end up doing so one of another one of the controversial things of the movie is since the fact that Lim who was Bert's husband he was an ex-con and the jobs he tried to get a job but they he got fired because he lied on his 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 um, application about being a felon and so they fired him and he was just having a hard time getting a job because of that fact that he was a felon and so he expressed that to Bird and then she took it upon herself to ask Samuel to help him get a job another thing that she should have not done because I mean he he was going to find out sooner or later and the fact that Samuel is the way that he is of course he was going to rub it in his face and that's exactly what he did he rubbed it in Lim's face the fact that he helped him get the job and the way that he did it was just really like I mean I would have been upset too like you gotta you maybe Lim could have controlled his anger a little bit more and didn't and shouldn't have put his hands on him but it's like when a man disrespects you like that you you gotta let him know I guess and that's what that's exactly what Lim did he he was like nigga you're not about to be um acting like you just you just that nigga and talking to me about my wife like like that like like you got the game fucked up so Lim wasn't feeling that so he ended up hitting him and then he he lost his job but thankfully he ended up getting it back because he actually was really good at what he was doing like he was really succeeding and impressing the boss there and so that's why he ended up getting the job back thankfully because they really needed you know him to be working bird had her own shop and come to find out bird was pregnant by the end of the movie we find out that bird is going to be welcoming the baby 
Um, so he definitely needed to be working so that he could provide for his family. So good thing that he was skilled at that job because otherwise he probably wouldn't have been able to get it back and would have been on the job hunt again. So Vanessa Williams' iconic The Family Fuck My Husband scene was improvised. Everyone's reaction was real and genuine. The family fucked my husband. So of course she said that because she found out that Faith and Miles had sex. And they were talking about, you know, family and putting family first and thinking about the family and doing what's best for the family. And she like, shoot, that's what I was doing. And the family fucked my husband. So I don't want to hear none of that. You know, she's just like at a place where she's just over it. She's, you know, tired of being the person who's always paying for everything and her trying to be helpful and help out the family fucked up her 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 marriage. But I mean, her marriage is already going down the drain. You know what I'm saying? But that definitely sped it up. So so in the original ending. There actually wasn't any money. It was just going to be something Ahmad made up. The studio pushed for a happy ending, so the scene with Uncle Pete dropping the TV filled with money was added. So Big Mama's husband, which would would, would have been uh, the sister's father, he was a really successful black man. He owned his own, I believe, he owned his own laundromat and his own corner store. So he ended up saving all this money. And so Big Mama had all this money, but nobody knew about it and no one knew where it was. So it just happens that it was in Uncle Pete's TV. And so at the end of the movie, Uncle Pete comes down out of his room because he never came out of his room. And so it was a surprise for everybody to be able to see him come out and spend time with the family. And then also, everybody would everybody would know or find out about all of the money so that was a really cool ending because they really did need the money especially since the the kitchen caught on fire they were going to need the money to repair that and so terry wasn't the only one paying the bills the money could help with that and that way they could keep the house and not have to end up selling it so the original final Sunday dinner had a lot more dialogue. Many of Miles' harsh lines to Terry were cut out from the film. So the Sunday dinner that Ahmad set up for everybody to come to, Ahmad, um, I mean, Miles and Terry, they do start having a conversation, but they don't really talk about, they don't really like really address everything in front of everybody at the table, but they they kind of do um, talk talk it out a little bit, and you can't really tell where that you know where they end up, but we do end up. Um, Ahmad does since Ahmad was narrating the movie, his voice was narrating the movie. He does say that even though they didn't get together or get back together and work it out. They still remain cordial and Miles still comes around the family. So 
So there also was a dance sequence between Faith and Miles at the nightclub, but it was cut out. So it was very seductive. And the reason why they cut it out is because it would have gave away way too much early on. So I guess they wanted it to kind of come. They didn't want you to predict that they were going to, you know, end up having sex. Um, so the scene where Miles is at the club, he does the performance and Terry didn't go, but Faith did show up. And so she was there and this is where they kind of have that conversation and, and bond and they end up dancing together. So this is kind of where their like connection starts to grow, which leads to them having sex. So I guess there was a little bit more scenes of them interacting and the build up to them having sex, but that was cut out of the movie. All right, now, I hope you all enjoyed that episode. That was episode 17 of the 90s series. Next week, we'll be back with another 90s movie, and we're going to do what we do and how we've been doing it. All right, hope you all enjoy the rest of your week. Leave me some reviews, please, and thank you. I appreciate it, all right? I do appreciate you listening and tuning in and fuck with me every week. And yeah, love, peace, and hair grease smooches.